Hebrews chapter 13, verse 13. Let us go forth, therefore, unto him, without the camp, bearing his reproach. For here have we no continuing city, but we seek one to come. There is a call here, let us. And this is yet another one of those let us that Paul is so keen to use in this homily that he gives to the Hebrews. He frequently says, let us. And whenever he says it, he doesn't just say, you Hebrews. But he's clearly saying, me as well, let us together as the people of God, let us as the saints of the Lord, as Christ's church, every man, every woman, every child among us, the call is universal. Let us. I want you to first of all to understand that tonight. It's a call to us all. And it's very plain the call. What is it a call to do? Well, look at the next words. Let us go forth. Go forth. Now that word, go forth, onto, that word is the language of pilgrimage. It's the language of travel and transit. It's the language of movement and motion. And he means a departing, a leaving behind one place and a going forth onto another place. And Paul has often used this verb in this epistle, going forth or going out or coming out. He told us that by faith Abraham when he was called to go out, when he was called to go forth onto a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, he went forth, he went out, he obeyed, not knowing even whether he went. Paul has also related how Israel went forth. This verb, they went forth out of Egypt to follow the Lord through the wilderness to the land of promise. Paul said concerning the patriarchs, he said, truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, that is, from whence they went forth, they might have had opportunity to have returned. So the Old Testament people of faith many of whom he told us about in chapter 11, all of them are described as a people who go forth, who are pilgrims, who leave behind something and they go forward to follow the Lord. They're a people of faith who went out. And they didn't only go out, they went out determined not to go back. And they didn't look back. You remember how he says, we are not of those who go back. We are always going forth. Let us go forth. You remember Moses? God said to him, speak unto the children of Israel. 
that they go forward, that they only go forth, that they keep going forth. So we have to not only go forth, but never, never go back. Clearly there are two pictures in mind here then. There is what you leave behind, what is behind us, and there is what you go on to, what is before. And that's a pilgrim. That's the theme in the mind of the apostle as he preaches this homily. We're all pilgrims on the journey. We're all travelling to a city. We've left a city, but we're travelling to a new city. Another city. A city that is before us. I want you to notice also that word, therefore. Notice this, therefore. Let us go forth, therefore. And that's actually the first word in the original. Therefore, let us go forth, as it is in the Greek literally. And of course, this therefore, that connects us to the previous verse, doesn't it? It links it up. This is not a new paragraph, verse 13, but this is a, a, a reason, therefore, and the reason is in verse 12. So the reason why we go forth is contained in that therefore, drawing us to verse 12. This requires us to go forth, verse 12. And what is in verse 12? Jesus, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Then go forth unto him. There's a reason. He's drawing us forth. What he has done for his people draws them forth. It should be like a magnet to them, bringing them out. It's Jesus. So we look out the gate. We look out the city of this world and we see Jesus. And who is Jesus? Well, we saw this morning he's the one who suffered for us. He's the one who shed his blood for us. He's the one who died for his people. He died to make them good, to sanctify them, to deal with their sin, to give them holiness of life, ultimately sinlessness and glory. He does this by his death and atoning blood. He is therefore the one who is our great high priest. He is therefore the one who loved us, as we said this morning. Then go forth to him. How can you not go forth to him? He died for you. He loved you. He is the forerunner who has gone before you, preparing the way, and he leads you to the new Jerusalem. So go forth. For to him who died for us. And he didn't just die for us. What does Paul say? He died for us when we were yet sinners. He didn't die for us when we believed in him and when we loved him. But when we were in our sin. In our unclean and wretched state. He died while we were yet sinners. And that ought to draw us. The love of Christ, Paul said, constrains us. It draws us. Go forth, therefore, then. 
It's magnetic. How can you not go forth unto such a loving Savior who suffered to win us and his love is calling us and even as he is crucified outside the gate, you remember he was crucified and his arms were extended in the cross of crucifixion as if to embrace us all, to call us to go forth unto him. He's overlooking the city of Jerusalem and his arms are extended. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered you under my wings? As a hen gathereth her chicken under her wings. Come. So he calls us and he looks to the camp, to the city with his arms extended. Then go forth without the camp. The place of crucifixion is mentioned, as I said this morning in verse 12, outside the gate. It is hinted at again in verse 13, without the camp, outside the city. And why is Jesus outside the city? Why is he outside the gate? Well, that's where executions were carried out. Because Jews' city is a holy place, and Jerusalem especially a holy place, Dead are buried outside, and executions take place outside. Criminals are executed, they're executed outside, and Jesus is rejected as a criminal. The reproach is upon him. He's an object of reproach. The Bible says he's despised of the people. He endures the contradiction of sinners, Paul tells us in this epistle. He's called the blasphemer because he made himself the son of God. And so they make him a criminal. They impute that to him. Outside. Go outside. Crucify him. Because when they said crucify him, that's what they meant. Put him out and crucify him. Rejected him. That's why he's outside the city. The camp has rejected him and crucified him outside. He's bearing the reproach. He tells us this in so many psalms. As with a sword in my bones, mine enemies reproach me while they said daily unto me where is thy God remember they said that on the cross when he hung where's your God if God will have you you said you're his son let him save you if he's your God reproach have broken my heart he said and I'm full of heaviness I looked for some to take pity but there was none and for comforters but I found none he's mocked a crown of thorns sits upon his head, mocking crown of thorns, and there he hangs and suffers to sanctify us and to bring us to God. So he's the pilgrim who's actually leading us to the new city as he hangs outside there on the cross, outside Jerusalem. And I want you to underline especially, we've already hinted at it, let us therefore go forth, therefore, Verse 12, Jesus, I'd say, suffered for us. But then I want you to underline the words, unto him. Let us go forth, therefore, unto him. It's very specifically mentioned, the pronoun. There's no doubting about the matter. To this wonderful Savior, to this loving great high priest, to this one who actually calls us, come unto me. And who has his arms extended in invitation, unto him. You're to go forth unto him. Don't let anybody be left behind. 
Don't let anybody come short of going forth unto him. Paul says, I'm going. I'm determined to follow Jesus. I'm determined to go outside the camp to take him and to follow him always, not looking back. I do want to do it on my own, he says. Let us, let us all go forth. So don't be left behind. Don't be negligent. Don't be careless. Don't think this is not a call to you and you can ignore it. You have to obey it. You have to fulfill it every day. Every day of your life. He is all. He is everything. You remember whenever Jesus spoke to the people, he spoke about eating his body and drinking his blood. He said, my body is meat indeed and my blood is drink indeed. And the people didn't like it. They couldn't understand it. They couldn't comprehend it. And they rejected it. Eating bodies and drinking blood. God's word forbids you to drink blood. And Jesus says, except you drink my blood, you have no life in you. They didn't like that word. And you know, they left him. Many turned away. And Jesus says to the twelve, will, will you also go away? Peter, he answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? To you. There's no one else. Thou hast the words of eternal life. We believe and are sure that thou art Christ, the Son of the living God. You, Lord. There's no one else. There's no one else who has these words of eternal life, even though we can't understand them all the time. Even though you say things about that eternal life that we cannot comprehend, such as eating your body and drinking your blood, even though we cannot comprehend that, we, we know that you have the words of eternal life. And we just come on to you. There's no one else. And that's what we all have to do. To go forth onto him. There's no one else. We're not focusing on a theological system. We're not taken up with issues and items. And notions. And things. There are many Christians who have different theological systems. But at the end of the day. The only thing that matters. And the only thing that counts. Is faith in Christ. Him, him, go forth unto him, the person of Christ, the one lifted up on the tree, the one who shed his blood, the one who draws us to himself, the suffering one, the rejected one, the despised one, the reproached one, the saving and sanctifying one, the only one who brings us to the city of God, the new Jerusalem. I point out to you again the words in verse 13, without the camp. Paul repeats that, that he had intimated in verse 12. Jesus is without the camp. He emphasizes that he's outside the gate, and we have to go on to him also without the camp. We have to go outside the same gates. 
We've to have behind us the same city. To our back, we've to go forth without the camp. Whenever you go forth to Christ, you will have the world behind you. So you see what Paul is talking about here is, is identification with Christ. You see, the camp has rejected him. The city has cast him out. They've crucified him. He bears that reproach. And what Paul is saying, we, we have to go out there and identify with him. To stand with him. To bear, if need be, the very same reproach. To say we identify with Jesus Christ. We stand with him. We believe in him. And we are prepared to suffer with him. The same reproach. This is what Paul is talking about. Without the camp. We're not going out the camp to mock him. No, but bearing his reproach. Not bringing reproach. You see, there were in Jerusalem... Those who did go outside the city. We read about them in, in Matthew. There were mockers. And the Lord doesn't want us to go out to mock him. And there are people today that they'll, they'll pretend to follow Christ. Oh, I'm following Jesus. But they're really mocking him. Because the world's in their heart. And they live in the world. And they, they only want to do with the world. And it's just talk. And talk is just mockery. It's just adding to the reproach. Jesus doesn't want that. He doesn't want mockery. He doesn't want to be mocked. He doesn't want people going in and out of the city and mocking him. No. Go out to him in this sense means with the world behind our back. Christ was crucified. Many went out to see him. To see the spectacle. To add to the reproach. To continue the mockery. So they came out and they did their mocking job and they went back. And they thought no more of him. Different kinds of people are identified at the cross. There were the passers-by we read of. They wagged their heads. These are the people who lived in Jerusalem. Were going out, coming home again. Just wagging their heads, going in and out, passing them by. Never giving him a thought. Adding to the mockery. That's not what it means by going forth as a passerby to mock him. No. Even the chief priests and the scribes and the elders of the city, they said, he saved others, he can't save himself. So all of these, the people, the citizens, the, the leaders of the city, they all reproached him. They did not bear his reproach, but they caused it and they laid it upon him. And the world does the same today. Passers-by today. Careless. No regard. No concern. No fellowship with them. Just wagging their head. Don't you see them? You testify them. You give them the gospel. They just wag their head. It's the same attitude that they had to Jesus. Paul doesn't want us to go forth to him like that. Mockers. But he wants us to go forth to embrace him, to stand with him, to love him, to support him, 
and to take with him the reproach. That's what he wants. We have to go forth as true believers, as determined believers, communing with him, participating in the fellowship with him, and that means participating in his reproach. Jesus himself has told us about that. He says, if any man will come after me, he's going to have to deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You have to take the same cross that Jesus carried. You have to go in the same path as you go forth to him. The path of reproach. And so we could entitle our message tonight, Jesus and all the reproach with him. The picture of this in the gospel is Simon of Cyrene. He was a Cyrenian, and you remember they laid hold upon him, and they made him carry the cross, that he might bear it after Jesus. So here's this Simon, and he's going forth after Christ, bearing Christ's cross, carrying the same reproach, identified with him. He's mocked as well. He's obviously... Whatever the attitude is to him, maybe it's one of race and colour, I don't know. But they've chosen him, make a spectacle of him too. And Simon, he willingly takes the cross and he goes after Jesus and he bears the reproach. And that's to be a picture of every believer. When you go forth unto him, you go forth as a cross bearer. You go forth prepared for the reproach of being a follower of Jesus Christ. Didn't Paul tell us about Moses in this epistle? That he, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. Egypt had the great cities. Egypt had the great treasures. Moses had his hands in it all. He had his hands in that glorious pie. He could even perhaps have been Pharaoh of Egypt. His hands are in it. But he cast it all away. And he esteemed the reproach of Christ. Yes, did did you hear it right? Christ. Even in the Old Testament, he esteemed the reproach of Christ. Greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. And that's how we're to go forth. To this Lord. His reproach is greater riches than all that the world offers. And so believers have to go forth from the world. They have to go forth from the world's acceptable religion. They have to go forth from the false, the lie, the idolatry, the idols, always behind the back, and they have to go forth They have to go forth from the world's acceptable ways. For the world's ideas of morality and right and wrong to God's righteousness. They have to go forth to that. They have to reject always behind their back whatever changes of morality and views on morality the world brings in. That's always behind our back. We go forth unto him 
Anything that's contrary to God's word is behind our back. Immorality and sin behind our back. Society's norms when in conflict with the word of God behind our back. Going forth from all unrighteousness unto him. Unto him. This is what Paul means. And we even have to go forth, yes, from ourselves. From our fleshly desires. Our ambitions. Our indulgences and pleasures. To him who loves us. And who will sanctify us. And who will satisfy us. In the new Jerusalem. When he shows us the vision of the face of God. This is what makes Christians a peculiar people. Different. They stand out with Christ. And of course, because they stand out with Christ, they suffer with him. And the Lord has told us this, hasn't he? The disciple's not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master. If they call the master Beelzebub, how much more shall they call the household members Beelzebub? Blessed are you when men hate you and when they reproach you and call you names and all of that. And then we come to verse 14. He adds another reason here why we should go forth unto him. Let's go forth therefore unto him without the camp, prepared to bear all this reproach for that city that we leave, that which we leave behind, it's not continuing. We have no continuing city here. For here, underline those words, here, the here now, the here in this world, we don't have a continuing city. This present world where we find ourselves, the now. Is the now better than him out there? Is the present situation in which we find ourselves in the world, enjoying the world, the indulgences of the world, is that better? Than him out there? No. And here's one reason. It's not going to continue. It's not going to continue. The city is a big thing with the world. In the imagery of the Bible. Remember Cain rejected God. What did they all do? They're the city builders. They come out of the ark. They apostatize. What did they do? Babel. They're the city builders. Babylon, the world is the city builders. The world is the place that glorifies the city on earth. And all the arts and all the culture and everything and all the pleasure is identified with the city. But we can't find our fulfillment in the city. In the pleasure of city, in the culture of city, in the life and bustle of city. That can't be our all. For a very simple reason. It's not going to continue. It's not going to last long. It's riches, it's class, it's economy. All that culture without God, without the creator, without the eternal word, who alone can redeem us. Is that going to keep us from Christ? It ought not, for a very good reason. It's not going to continue. It won't last. Does the worldly know his word won't last? better to go forth 
You're going to leave it soon anyway. Your city, your world, your pleasure, whatever it is that you idolize, that you're all, you're, you're leaving it soon. Death will soon take you away from it anyway. It won't continue. Be wise, awaken up, go forth and think of the eternal city that will last forever and ever. This is what Paul means. No sinner has a continuing city. It's folly then to just build our faith in the world. And in going to Christ then we seek one to come. And literally it is here, verse 13, but we seek the one to come. There's only one city. Only one eternal city, the new Jerusalem. The city that hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Now, we can't comprehend what that is. It's just an image of city. Streets of gold and all of that. That's just an image. An image of something beyond our mental understanding, our faculties to comprehend. But it'll be wonderful, this city. That has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. True fellowship, true community, true oneness forever and ever. And the glory of Jesus Christ face to face for all of us, all of us. Our whole vessel, our whole soul filled with the glory of God. It's unspeakably blessed. Go forth unto him. Because that's the only way that we shall attain unto it. Christ brings us into this city that hath foundation. He hath prepared for them a city and he sent a saviour to be the forerunner to bring us to it in his life and in his death. So go forth to him. Him alone who dealt with sin. Believe in him. Pray to him. Go forth to him every day. This is something practical, you know. Every day, pray to him. Every day, commune with the Savior, Jesus Christ, your Lord. Every day, have dealings with him. Every day, stand with him. Whenever the world is doing this and the world is offering you that and attacking you with this, Jesus, I want Jesus. Go forth unto him. Him alone. May we all do this.